About um, probably 38 years ago, <laughs> quite a long time ago, not quite 40 years, Marion and I, uh, as a young married couple, uh, joined a little house church in Hastings in East Sussex, in quite a run-down part of Hastings, uh, in a sort of, where there's lots of bedsits and old Victorian Edwardian houses, so we went to this little house church. Now, in its early phase, this church was called Hastings Christian Fellowship. So the name was Hastings Christian Fellowship. Now, why did we call it that? That's a good question. We thought it was a good name at the time. But there was a reason for it. We had rediscovered at that point that the church wasn't really about services or singing or preaching. Not even that. Not primarily. The church was about people. It was people in relationship with Jesus and relationship with one another. Now, when we went to that little charismatic house church, we used to spend quite a lot of time together. So Sundays were not like a a very formal service. They were mostly a day together. We did worship and sing. We prayed for each other. We prayed for people. We did read the Bible, and one of us might share something from it. But we often had tea together, or we had lunch together. We might go for a walk on the beach. Uh, In the winter, we played board games. Those were the days before anything like electronic games or computers. In fact, we didn't have a television. I don't think many people did have a television, Um, which got a rumour, actually, going around the whole town that we were against television. It wasn't. We were just poor. Uh, And and, and when you're making a priority choice, as soon as I could afford one, I got one. So... um, so, but, but actually, as it happened then, uh, we didn't. So it, we, we did board games and things like that. And there was a lot of talking and praying and some laughter together as well. But it wasn't just Sunday. During the week, we give time to helping one another practically, gardening and decorating. Now, I could keep you here all morning with stories about that because that was a mixed blessing. We, I mean, we did do it. We went and helped decorate people's houses. I can remember several instances that stand in my mind. Uh, one was, we, uh, oh, you have to probably be about 40 to understand this. Do people know what chip paper is? You put it on a wall. It's white, chips of wood in it, and then you emulsion it. I think you've probably got to be a reasonable age to even know what I'm talking about. So we went to one person, member of the church's house, to redecorate. And after we pretty well finished putting the chip paper on, we realized that one team had put it on chip inside in. So, so like three walls were chip paper with that rather unpleasant lumpy uh, sort of acne thing, but the, the others were sort of smooth, so we had to sort of redo it. And then there was another time when we did a, somebody's house, and somebody was up in the landing, of the, and for some reason, um, he was a very inventive guy, not necessarily sharp as, sharpest tool in the box, but he, he worked out that to paint the ceiling, it might be a good idea to have a rope ladder down from the trap door, so I had a rope ladder trap door, and he's going up to emulsion the ceiling with a full tin of paint, and the rope ladder began to sway round, swing, which it might have done, I think it's some law, possibly, I don't know, whatever, and the paint began to slop out all round them. So it was a mixed blessing. But we meant well, and quite often they were successful. And we do things like go to the cinema together. Someone said, had the idea that Watership Down was a prophetic film, so we all went to watch it. Actually, I think it was. 
prophetic film. And we went to see uh, Star Wars, I think the first one out together. So we did it. Now you could say, oh, that sounds idyllic. Well, it wasn't idyllic really because there were lots of personal and interpersonal problems that surfaced. There was lots of difficulties and challenges. There were some very tough times, actually, as well as fun times. But although it wasn't idyllic, it was authentic. We were sharing our lives. We were trying to work out our faith together and would share our resources. We would share things like whatever you've got, you know, lawnmower or something, or or, or maybe... uh, give people lifts and car. We, we didn't have everything in common in terms of that, but we would share and try and help each other. And I think even as the church grew in Hastings, and, and it does grow and you do move on like you do in normal life in practical ways, I wanted always, and we always tried to say, let's remember that the church, this is transcultural, trans-time, transgenerational, the church is people like that relating together people in relationship to Jesus and one another. And for me, one of the main purposes of having small groups in church life ever since then onwards is to try and have in your house group, your cell group, your home group, your community group, I've called it probably care groups, I think we've used every name available, but to try and have in it something of the quality of what was in that original one group we started from. I've always felt that small groups must be seen as not a mini-service. They're not one and a half hours, one evening a week, and, and we do a bit of worship. Thing. Now, I mean, I don't think I've always got it right, I remotely got it right, uh, about how we organise it. But somewhere, and it need not be in the organised community groups, it can be in other small groups, somewhere something of that relationship together needs to be maintained. I've always felt that the small groups we have in church life need to try and get beyond thinking they're about a meeting. They're about relationships, they're about helping one another, provoking one another, good love and good works, going to things together, doing social stuff, helping each other and helping others And we really need to think like that, if at all possible. Can I make an appeal for that? Even right now, it's slightly off-piste already. I I think we need to think like that about small groups. I've always thought that's all they really are, is trying to replicate a context for that sort of thing. Anyway, quickly get back. It's called Hastings Christian Fellowship because we think, or thought, we had rediscovered something, and it was this word, fellowship. Fellowship, devoted to fellowship. It was a big, big part of the early church's life. What does it mean? Well, fellowship is a translation of a Greek word called, uh, spelled koina or said koinonia. Uh, and that doesn't mean a lot to most of us. So you look in a dictionary, Greek dictionary, and it will tell you that that word means things like this. Sharing, participation, partnership, togetherness. So the first church, the early church, which set the marker for all church, which they did, were devoted to sharing, partnering, and togetherness. That is what they were building. And it's what real church must always try and be, a community of people devoted to one another. Now, there are a massive number of one another verses in the New Testament And they are all, in a way, unpacking what that means, devoted to fellowship. You could argue that they're just spelling out what it meant in practice. 
The list is incredible. I am going to read them to you because it just almost, the, I won't be too long, I hope, but just the weight of it hits you. This is what the New Testament says to Christians. Okay, this is what the New Testament, I've got all the references here, but I'm not going to read out the, you know, Hebrews 3, 1 Thessalonians, I'm just going to read what they say in summary. Love one another, encourage one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds, build up one another, edify one another, admonish one another, instruct one another, serve one another, bear with one another, forgive one another one another. Be kind to one another. Be compassionate to one another. Be devoted to one another. Honour one another. Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic to one another. Be gentle with one another. Be patient with one another. Accept one another. (laughs) Submit to one another. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Teach one another. Live at peace with one another. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Offer hospitality to one another. Greet one another. Have fellowship with one another. Agree with one another and carry one another's burdens. Actually, that's just the positive list. There is a negative, you could argue, which I'm not going to read. It's like, do not hate one another. Do not judge one another. But I think that would be going on too long. But there's another almost couple of dozen verses which challenge you how not to behave to one another. There is an awful lot in the New Testament about how we behave towards one another as Christians. You'd almost think it was quite important, wouldn't you? And it is. It's massively, massively important. In 1 John 3.14, if you pop that one up, It almost is saying, I think it is saying, that actually how we behave to one another is one of the proofs as to whether we're even a real Christian at all. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. So our behaviour towards one another is one of the concrete proofs that we have moved from death to life. We need to talk about it for a few minutes. So what is all this based on? I mean, what's the foundation of this one anothering, this, this fellowship? Is it just a matter of being nice people, really trying very hard to be nice to everyone, to just like people and desperately try to like people? No, I think it's a lot more than that, a lot more than that. In fact, that would be superficial and that doesn't quite work. Because this isn't only, ultimately, about being nice, and we'll see that in a moment. There are some challenges in it, of course. Let's briefly just remind you, and if you're here uh, perhaps as a visitor, I hope this might even be helpful if you're perhaps not used to, to church at all. Let me just remind you what it is to be a Christian. Being a Christian means you undergo a very profound change inside you. Jesus called it being born again. Here's one of the verses. Jesus replied, John 3, 3, if you could pop it up. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. That's Jesus' phrase. Now, that's not used that much else in the New Testament, but if Jesus used it, it's pretty important. He talked about being born from above, 
born by the Holy Spirit. Now, actually, the next bit, put up the next one, please. John 1, same uh, uh, gospel, spelled that out for us. To all who did receive Jesus, that's receiving Jesus as their Savior and their Lord, to those who believed in his name, put faith in him, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a husband's decision, uh, sorry, of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So to be a Christian means you are born of God. That's incredible. It's not just the name changer, a change of idea like I've, I've moved from one political party to another. I used to go to this club and now I go to that club, which is totally, that's how we live. But that is it's something at a far, far deeper level than that. You put faith in Jesus, you receive him as your Lord and Savior, and you are born again, to use Jesus' words, born from above by a work of the Holy Spirit. When Paul's writing into Colossians, he uses a different image to say an equally radical thing. Just let's look, say how radical it is. Colossians 1. It says this, For he, this is God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So to be a Christian is to be rescued from a kingdom of darkness and brought right over to a different kingdom of love. The kingdom of Jesus, a kingdom of light and love. So it's as radical as going from darkness to light. That is what it is to be a Christian. It's being born again. It's going from darkness to light. And in Ephesians, Paul spells that out. Put that one up, please, as well. Ephesians 5.8. To Christians, he said, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. So he's saying something big has happened to you and you've moved from being darkness to light. Now that is a big thing to happen. It's what happens when you really become a Christian. And actually, Paul later, we haven't got this one and we don't need it on the screen, he challenges the Corinthian Christians this. He says, what fellowship can light have with darkness? Now, you know, I'm not ripping that out of context. There's a whole context for that. But it's a good question. He's basically saying, if you're light... You can't mingle with the darkness. He's not talking about meeting people and talking to them. But he's saying light and darkness don't mingle. Light, if you put lights on, they te- although you get spotlights, I know, but we put the lights on and they, the, the light bl- blends together and, and lights the room. And, 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 and the darkness goes. And you were once darkness and now you're light. So your whole world, your fellowship world is in the light. The light of God and other light, children of light. And you've got to shine together. You've got to blend together. And and that's how it works. You've been transferred from one kingdom and translated to another one. It's exciting and it's awesome and it can be available for anyone. Now, I want to say that before I move on quickly because I'm not talking about an exclusive club that no one can belong to. Anyone who puts faith in Jesus, John 1, can be born from above. You know, you can move out of that dominion of darkness into that, to, that kingdom of light and love right now by putting faith in Jesus. Right now by committing your life to him. Actually, there is a, a very uh, simple prayer you could pray. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pause, actually. Just feel to pause. I did bring it up because I thought I might do this, but I think I will. just want you to, to go quiet for a minute, maybe just uh, settle your mind. If you've known what it is to be a Christian, but have never done this, never really said, Jesus, I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. I want you to bring me to new birth. I want something to happen on the inside that changes me. I want to move from darkness to light. 
You could follow this prayer quietly in your own heart and mean it, and I believe God will respond to it. What I would encourage you to do is tell someone after the meeting that you prayed it with me. I'm not going to make you do anything now at all. just going to focus it for a minute. So this is a simple prayer that we use around Alpha, actually, but it's a simple... If you want to know more, by the way, just to say, we've got an Alpha course running right at this moment, Tuesday evenings, and you might follow up by coming to that if you live locally this Tuesday, uh, 7... 7.30, 7.30, and just sort of get it a little clearer in your head, but you don't have to do that to become a Christian. This would make you born again, coming into the kingdom of light. Let me just, let's close our eyes for a moment. This is the sort of prayer you need to pray thoughtfully and mean it. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. Lord, I turn from all those things, everything I know is wrong, and I turn towards you. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you have offered me the gift of forgiveness, and Lord Jesus, I take that this morning. I receive that. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit to come in me and change me. I now receive him. I say, Lord, come in and change me. Be with me forever. I want to follow you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Now, if you meant that, or if you wanted sort of to pray something like that over on your own another time... That would be what it is to mean that and to come into this kingdom. Please tell someone, because I think that would sort of seal it, actually. I think it's a confession of the mouth seals your faith, in a way. Well, that that means, if you prayed that sort of prayer and made that sort of move, that you have now joined a totally different people. Let's put up 1 Peter 2, which sort of sums up what I've been saying. Peter, not Paul this time, is writing to Christians, and he says this. Those who follow Jesus, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That was where darkness was, sorry. Out of darkness into his wonderful light. So he's using the same analogy. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy mercy. When you become a Christian, a real Christian putting faith in Jesus, this is what happens to you. You become part of God's special possession. You become part of the people of God on the earth today, all shapes and sizes and lots of different groups and denominations, but those who follow Jesus as their Lord and Saviour And you've come out from the darkness into God's wonderful light. And now you live out of what you are. You were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you hadn't received mercy, now you have received mercy. And local churches, local churches like ours or any of the others around, are meant to be little outposts of those people of God. Yeah, we are meant to handle stuff well together, and we often don't as well as we could. And we need to work together. But 
in the end, when you come into a small local expression of the body of Christ, that's where the rubber hits the road. You ought to engage with a people who are reflecting this sort of thing, our light, in a perhaps a darkening world. And the challenge for us is to work that out, brothers and sisters. That is what fellowship is. It's one anothering. Now, I think there are some things we need to be intentionally committed to to help us to do this. I'm only going to go through them very quickly. Some of you will have probably heard me say them on several occasions over the years. I don't know. But I think they are important, and I want to remind you of them. If we're devoted to fellowship, in practice, that means we're devoted to these things. We've got to work these things out. One, mutual acceptance. Romans 15.7 says, Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you. It's a fundamental principle. If Jesus Christ accepted you, warts and all, accepted me, warts and all, then we've got to start accepting each other unconditionally as fellow believers. We have got to start there. We've got to say, I must be at least able to accept you at the level that Jesus has accepted you. That if he's accepted and received you as you are, as is, that's where I start with you too. If Jesus loved you enough to die for you before you changed, then I've got to be able to love you as God's working on you and you're not fully changed yet, no more than I am. So we have to start from a fundamental. If you know, I'm not going to be more picky about you than Jesus is. Mutual acceptance. There's mutual respect. In 1 Corinthians 12, that's the next one, by the way. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul tells us to respect the differences in each other. If you could pop up the next one, thanks, if it's not stuck. Mutual respect. Maybe it's stuck. Um, Okay, so mutual respect... (laughs) Sorry, I'm getting distracted. Perhaps it's unhelpful for me to see it. Um, it's, it's built into the, bo- the picture of the body, which is in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, we're told the body uh, is to behave with this sort of principle. I'll be quick and say it quickly. That the eye can't say of the hand, I don't need you. So one part of the body can't say of the other part of the body, I don't need you. And then it says later on, that, um, that it's sort of the other side of the same thing, that, that the hand can't say, well, I don't belong to the body because they're not all hands. That's my words. It, it's sort of a two-way mirror of the same thing. We can't say, well, they're not all like me, so I don't belong to them, or, or, or say, well, I don't need anybody because they're not like me. I only need, need what I am. That's not how a body works, and that's certainly not how uh, the church works. Every member has a part to play. We are not to dominate one another, we're not to manipulate one another, but we are to realise we need one another. And I think that drills down into local church. Honestly do. I think it's true on the general scale, and often people find it easier on the wider scale. They find it easier to talk about um, being accepted, uh, you know, accepting other Christians across the world. And, and that's good. I'm not despising that. But actually we have to accept, we have to respect one another right on the, on the floor and on the ground where we are in the same church. And then let's move on to mutual loyalty. Can I just ask, have you got stuck with the points at the back? They're not working. Oh, well done. Thank you. It sort of saves me. I like to know these things. It saves me to keep looking. Okay. Mutual loyalty. I think that's the next one. 
I, now, now listen to this. It says in the Bible, if you learn of one brother's sin, what do you do? 1 John 5, 16 will tell you. You go and pray about it. If you hear about someone's sin or failure, a fellow Christian, the first thing you do is not tell someone else, it's talk to God about it. That's the first thing you do. Now, if you want to know what the next thing you do, Matthew 18 will tell you. That is, if at all possible, you go and talk to the person concerned only. The person who has offended you or you are concerned about what they're doing. If they don't hear that, you might involve one or two others. I'd give you a little bit of flexibility, a small circle. But you don't talk to a lot of other people who are irrelevant to the problem. That's mutual loyalty. It's how the body of Christ is meant to work. It's very practical. It's very practical. You find verses to support it. I've thrown a couple of them out just by there. 1 John 5, 16, Matthew 18. You actually are loyal to one another. There's a very good principle about this sort of thing where we have trouble together because we're not, we're not all good. We're not all perfect. We're all very imperfect in many ways. But there's a good principle. Someone told me this years ago, many years ago. I don't remember who. Don't talk to someone who is neither part of the problem nor part of the answer. When you have trouble between you and things that are are not right in the church, don't talk to someone who is neither part of the problem nor part of the answer. It doesn't mean don't talk at all. It means don't talk about that to them, of course. Don't talk to someone who is neither part of the problem nor part of the answer. It's a good protection. I mean, there are people that are part of the answer who can help you to the answer and talk to them. But it is quite important we are loyal to one another in the body of Christ. We endeavour to be peacemakers and not troublemakers. We have mutual responsibility. If we can put that next one up. Mutual responsibility. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul teaches us that the body needs to help each other and honour each other. And when there's a difficulty, we sort of suffer together. And when there's a joy, we rejoice together. We, we are engaged with each other. We have a responsibility to celebrate stuff together and to, and to weep together. And there is a sense in which um, there's a, probably a practical element to that, so that, that, that we help practically, but there's a spiritual element, what we might call a spiritual element, praying for one another, giving encouragement spiritually to one another. We have a responsibility for each other. It's not just the leaders. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure I'm great at some of this. For years I've been on a learning path. I I think God's helped me um, and I work on it but there's all sorts of stuff from your background that can affect you. I was an only child I think perhaps some of you know that, not everybody knows that so I was an only child with elderly parents so you're quite self-sufficient you grow up like that so you you, you just learn learn to be like that and you're used to having adults around. Now my parents were very, looking back they were quite wise, I didn't really realise it until later because they knew they weren't, they weren't going to have any more children. And uh, so they encouraged me to have lots of friends. And I did have lots of friends, including not non, lots of friends who were non-church people. So that was really good for me. But when it was at home, I was me. And, you know, that's it. <laughs> you don't have to share stuff. <laughs> and you get used to being on your own and comfortable with it. So I think, actually, you know, I've had a learning process, which is still ongoing, of self-containment, self-sufficiency. And it does, it does happen. And, and, you know, so there's all sorts of things that we're all adjusting and learning. And we don't all have to be the same. That took us quite a while to learn. When we started off with a small house church, the guy, uh, Don and Stephanie, who led it, had a really open home, massively open home. It was like Piccadilly Circus. People were coming and going all the time. In fact, it was quite difficult to get there and visit them and not have other people there. 
which again was actually quite annoying as much as it was nice. So actually, sorry, maybe that's my only child coming out. <laughs> but you, you know, you went there and, 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 and there were always people there. Now, we aren't like that. I'm not like that. I'm married. It's a character thing. It's a preference thing. And so I, I, I like people coming, but I like to know you're coming if possible. If it's an emergency or it's a little friendly visit, I can cope with that. But but I sort of like to know, oh, yeah, we're having so-and-so. They're coming. So we slightly organise ourselves from day one as a married couple. We sort of organised ourselves. And actually, it sometimes led us to feel a bit condemned or other people to be a bit critical that Don and Steph, you could go anytime. John and Marion, you have to ask. You know, you didn't ask, but you have to arrange it. So, so I mean, I struggle with that. I thought, is that okay? It took me years to think, well, it's okay to be what you are. And I feel when you come to my house, I'll give you 100% of my attention, which I will. When you went to Don's, you didn't get 100% because you've got all everybody else there. So, so, you know, I tried to justify it, but I think there was a bit of point to that. Hello, this is doing me good. I don't know about you, it's quite therapeutic. Um, but, but, but the reality is, whatever your background and preference, you have to work on these things. We have to learn to work together, one anothering. We, we have got responsibility to give time and help and effort to one another. We really have. And I, I, I think for some of us, the sacrifices are in slightly different places. And quickly, let's go on. Mutual submission. That's an interesting one. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit, submit to one another out of reverence for, a reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I think... The submission thing, which is sometimes a big no-no word, I think if you look at it, it's, it's much bigger than something to do with just parents or husbands or whatever in the Bible. There's this sense in which there is a mutual submission. And I think you can find it in lots of ways. I think there's an authority that comes with people's giftings. And their Holy Spirit giftings mean that to some degree you have to submit to them. I think we were wonderfully led in worship this morning. When someone's leading us in worship like that, we rightfully need to submit to them. We need to go with where they're taking us. We need to lead. We're not sort of standing there, arms folded, to see if you can make me worship then. You know, I don't like that song. No, no, no. We're going with the gift that's operating. We're being led. This is across gender. It's not about gender. It's not about age even. I think there's an element in which we submit to one another in all sorts of ways. We, if we have some way of, of, of being led in something, we're looking to, to help that person do a good job, whatever. Now, there are also... God-ordained functions, yeah, there's, there's, there's husband, there's parent, there's employer, they're in Ephesians, there is, there's all sorts of things, but, the, but those functions, leaders, elders, yes, we do submit there, but that's not the only place we submit. There's a sort of mutual submission. There's a regard for one another. We're not trying to lord it over one another. We're not trying to challenge one another all the time. We're not even trying to make it difficult for one another. We're trying to make it easy for one another to do stuff. Try and make it easy for people to lead a serving team because we're submissive to what's being done. It's not blind submission. It's not throwing your brain away. It's just godliness. It's just one another submitting, helping one another to build the body of Christ and serve. Now, actually, all of this is quite tough. We're not going to spend long on this, but it is quite challenging. It's much more tempting to keep yourself to yourself. It's more tempting to put on a front and justify yourself. And all of those things hinder what we're trying to do. There, there is a pain to this. There is a, there's a reality to working this out, which I think can be very uncomfortable. I mean, it, it, it's related to how we work with God. It, we have to be open with God. 
and have an open heart before him. We have to understand where we stand before God. If our relationship with God is not based on grace and our own vulnerability and sin and need for him and all he did, if, if it's not that, we'll find it more difficult to work out this on the ground. Once you get it clear in your head that you are really nothing and it was all about him and, and you didn't bring anything to the table, it was all of grace and that you're, he calls you his friends when you were his enemies. All that Jesus has done for you, when that really begins to connect in you, I think it makes it at least easier to be more relaxed and real with other people. It really does help. And so it has to be rooted, the whole thing has to be rooted out of your relationship with God. If it's just a list of, wow, this is thousands of one another's that I've got to do, that's just like, well, it's easier to do the Ten Commandments. That was a bit easier. So, so it's not like that. It's, it's like when this has happened and you've understood where you stand with him, this sort of works out like this. And that is how fellowship, real biblical fellowship works out. You know, us Christians, real Christians who love Jesus, we ought to be good at relationships. I think we often aren't, but we ought to be good because we ought to have the best possible understanding of how it works, that it's not based on performance and pride and assertion and asserting yourself and, uh, and me-centered and projecting yourself and all the other things that people would try and give you strength from. It's based on your strength in God. It's based on understanding what he is and who he's done. And you also understand people. If you're a real Christian, a biblical Christian, you understand people. You have a, a high value on the individual. Christian worldview values the individual. Every individual is precious and unique, made in the image of God and known to him. People are valuable. People are worth it. But you also know that people are flawed. They're sinners. So they will let you down. They do have baggage like you have and I have they don't just perform so you think coming to church say oh they're not all one anothering me no because they're all learning like you are no, oh they don't all be nice to me well how many are you nice to yeah, I am a few. yeah okay well that's how they are a few and we're all working at it and so you know it, we, we understand that not everybody is perfect we understand we all need the grace of God we're all being changed from one degree of glory to another now I think that actually helps us to be robust and real in relationships because we have a slightly more balanced view than otherwise. We know we're, we're secure, that we're loved and accepted, but we also know that we and others were not all that we should be and still aren't. We're still being worked on. And I think real Christian fellowship shouldn't be cliquey and it shouldn't be inward-looking fundamentally because if we do get this right, and are secure in our own position with God and one another, will actually be, I think, pretty welcoming to others. And I, and I think we can be. I don't know about you. I, I, I'm not claiming to be brilliant, because I, I, I've got no my own weaknesses. But I genuinely do feel that I can be at ease with quite a lot, wide range of people who are, are not part of the church. I don't find it particularly difficult to, to try and connect with them. I, now, it could be a bit of character. I do understand that. But I think it's more than that. I think you realize that there's a loving of God in your heart for people. And that they, they all need Jesus. And, you know, I'm sitting on the plane going to Portugal the other week. And I'm sitting next to a guy who was quite a hard nut, I think. He, he, he'd um, been a nightclub owner in South London. And he'd um, 
been sort of into business of some sort. I didn't ask too carefully what. Um, and, and he owned a house in Portugal. His marriage had collapsed. And he was quite a, uh, a strong character, quite uh, outspoken, and said he was a, a devout atheist as we got into talking. But actually, I felt, you know, you could talk to him, could talk about God to him, because... Okay, maybe a little bit like he was a bloke and maybe that was easier and all that sort of thing. But I think going through all that, I find if we're securing God and we understand who we are, it's not difficult to relate to people, actually. Now, I know some of us say, well, some of us are more introvert and extrovert and all that. We can go with that. But I think the gospel changes at you, whatever you are. So people like me who would be prone to be a bit mouthy have to learn to be a bit quiet. And people who are too quiet have to learn to be a bit more outgoing. Because that's how Jesus changes us. And he does change us. And I think if we understand fellowship, we will be outward looking fundamentally. It will not, healthy Christian fellowship will not end up being inward looking. Let's finish quickly. John Wesley said this, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. You know, to be a Christian is not something you can do just on your own. Just me and Jesus. You come into a family. You come into a body. You have always, it's always been like that. It's always been a religion of fellowship. If you look through the New Testament, you will find quite often the process of responding to the gospel is described like this. They were saved and added to the church. Saved and added. Not just saved, saved and added. That's the whole process, that you, you are added to the body of Christ. You don't simply get right with God you are added to the company of disciples who devote themselves to the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer, etc. So you are added to a group of people devoted to one another. Because when all the dust settled, when it says devoted to fellowship, which can sound a bit religious and a bit like, what does that mean? It really just means devoted to one another. So the early church were devoted to one another. That they saw that as an important thing to work on. And actually, I believe it's important. I, I, I know the battles in it, but I do believe it's important. We try and work on it. Because I think if we don't work on that, we, we, we don't have the fundamentals in place to help reach out to others and welcome them in. As we grow in our relationship with God we will grow in our relationship with one another. Someone, again, not me, says so like the wheel, bicycle wheel, the closer you get to the hub, the closer you get to the other spokes. And it's sort of true. You, you, you can't just work, um, what's that, Vert- horizontal. can't just work horizontally. You have to work vertically to get horizontal right. And as you get in closer to Jesus, you begin to understand how you can be closer to one another.